This show is created for adult audiences only. Our show notes include content warnings and other helpful information. We strongly recommend taking a moment to assess the situation before continuing. Let's begin. Episode 22, The Aurora Incident. Many know and attribute the Roswell crash in 1947 as the site where it all started. It is believed that this was the first major encounter with UFOs and aliens ever reported. However, this isn't the case. Reports go back many years and have been reported by many ancient civilizations. They could be found in ancient drawings, journals and writings, and even spread by word of mouth to those nearby. In the US, there were many documented sightings of UFOs long before the Roswell incident one of which took place in a small Texas town called Aurora, better known as the town that almost wasn't. This is the story of the Aurora Incident. It was very early the morning of April 17, 1897. Ten-year-old Charlie Stevens was awakened by his father to tend to their morning chores. Charlie slowly got out of bed, still half asleep, as it was still dark outside. He lazily dressed himself, dreading the day ahead, and met his father downstairs. They donned their caps and set out to gather their horses. Upon reaching the barn, they saddled the horses and proceeded to go to the farm's furthermost pasture to round up their cattle. As they made their way out to the pasture, the darkened sky slowly began to illuminate with the rising sun. Both Charlie and his father were ready to complete their chores in anticipation of the breakfast they would be rewarded with when they made it back home. The two rode in silence, inching closer to the pasture, when all of a sudden their horses started acting up. They appeared to become quite skittish, as if warning them of something ahead. The horses then refused to move, despite their efforts. Charlie and his father then unmounted their horses and tried to pull them forward. It was at that moment, a loud hissing and humming sound filled the air, gradually becoming louder in volume. The two stood there confused and trying to locate the source of the sound. All of a sudden a dark shape appeared out of the clouds. It was moving slowly to the north towards the town of Aurora. They watched as the object passed over their heads. Charlie was amazed and curiosity struck him. He had never seen anything like it. Of course, he had seen birds and kites fly, and had even seen a hot air balloon once at a county fair. But he had never seen anything else that could fly. The object was long and cylindrical, 
with the bright beam of light at one end that seemed to guide it. As they watched the airship fly further away, the humming sound that they had been hearing also became more quiet. The two stood there watching in silence, stunned by what they had witnessed. After the object was out of sight, the horses became calm. Charlie and his father mounted up and proceeded to head out into the pasture to continue their morning ritual. As they continued their journey a few moments later, they heard a loud rumbling sound that seemed to shake the earth around them. With the sound came a bright flash of light that illuminated the sky as bright as the sun. Charlie immediately looked at his father and shouted in excitement, I bet it crashed down. Can we go see it, Pa? His curiosity had peaked at this point. He was determined to investigate the incident further. His father refused to let him go. He felt that matters such as these were best left to authorities. They also still had their daily chores to tend to, and Charlie's mother would be waiting for them with a hot breakfast that they couldn't let go cold. The next day, Charlie's father rode into town to see if there were any reports as to what had happened. Many had witnessed the events from the morning before. Everyone who had seen the airship all recounted the same details. They stated that it was first seen approaching the settlement from the south. It was steadily losing height as it headed towards the town and made a strange sound. They assumed the cause of the sound was due to the result of a mechanical failure. As it slowly descended to the ground, it ran into a windmill that belonged to the town judge, Spencer Proctor. It was estimated that the craft was traveling at a mere 12 miles an hour when it collided with the windmill. It exploded on impact, raining flaming wreckage all over the property and causing significant damage. Many raced to the scene. Authorities and rescuers were stopped due to large fires caused by the incident. They were unable to do anything till the flames eventually died down. When they were finally able to sift through the debris, they found the severely burned remains of a single occupant and several tons of twisted metal which resembled a compound of aluminum and silver. The crash was immediately reported to authorities of the nearby city of Fort Worth. Military officer Weems was dispatched to the scene to investigate into the matter. Weems stated in his report that he believed the fallen craft was not of an earthly origin. The body of the pilot was too disfigured to give any clue to its origin. However, Weems documented the body was too small to be that of an adult, and was closer to the size of a human child. Weems also documented strange markings and glyphs that were found engraved into the material at the site of the wreckage, stating that he believed it to be of an extraterrestrial origin. After the investigation, the town believed the remains should be buried in the town cemetery. A Christian funeral service was held by a visiting pastor. Nearly all the residents of Aurora were in attendance as they watched the otherworldly man be laid to rest. 
In addition to the remains of the body, several smaller pieces of the wreckage were buried along with it. The larger pieces were then collected and thrown down Judge Proctor's well, which had been damaged along with the windmill. The days then passed and an article was written in the Dallas Morning News depicting the incident. The article directly stated the airship had came from another world. To their surprise, it was met with little to no interest by the national press. Markers were then placed at the site of the crash in the grave of the pilot, commemorating the event, forever marking the incident part of the town's history. Many years later, in 1973, a local journalist, Jim Mars, visited the town in an attempt to establish the facts behind the crash. After searching for a while, he managed to locate what he believed to be the gravesite of the pilot. He also found a stone marker with the saucer-shaped object etched into it. He noted that the marker appeared to have been desecrated as it was broken into two pieces. After the interest of Mars's article had spread, another journalist by the name of Bill Case began his own investigation into the incident. Case was the head of the local branch of MUFON. Along with him, he brought a metal detector to the site to see if he could locate the wreckage that had been buried along with the pilot. He was able to determine at least three sizable pieces of wreckage buried within the area of the grave. At this time, Case applied for an exhumation order to remove the metal from the grave. However, he was turned down by the church authorities. Case returned to the site some time later and found that the grave had been excavated, with the marker removed and a length of metal pipe now buried under the ground. Unable to determine who had disturbed the gravesite, Case began to look for local witnesses. He was able to track down Charlie Stevens, then in his late 80s, whom was able to recount the events that took place on that early morning in 1897. A woman by the name of Mary Evans then came forth. She was only 15 at the time, but had been told stories by her parents that had witnessed the events and had seen the body and the wreckage. The Aurora incident is still a mystery to this day. It is still talked about and celebrated by the local residents of Aurora, Texas, as it was very real and left a lasting impact on the community. With the amount of evidence supporting the event, it is impossible to dismiss that something took place there on that day in 1897. Welcome, campers, to Campfire Tales of the Strange and Unsettling. We're your hosts. I'm Ryan. And I'm Jordan. And now, the debrief. All right, Aurora. This is a classic. A stone-cold classic. Yeah. I like it. Um, it's always cool to me when there are UFO sightings, like, pre, let's say pre-Roswell UFO sightings, I always find Mm -hmm. really intriguing. Yeah, I I think so, too. Especially this one. Like, Roswell is so notable because of the fact that it's literally the area where an actual 
craft crashed. Right. Like, and, and it had crashed and, like, you know, sites of, or, well, I guess sightings of, like, an actual, like, unknown persons, you know, within the craft and everything. And this is, I mean, if you if you look at it, well, this is 50 years before Roswell. Yeah. With an actual craft that crashed and a being inside of the craft that was not earthly. So I mean according to according to this fellow according to many fellows though this was reported on by many people at the area and I mean at the time the town of Aurora had roughly about 400 people right this day there are about 1400 1500 1600 something like that like they've grown tremendously uh, but at right. the time roughly about 400 people and the majority of them being a small town obviously we're all there, all witnessed this thing happen. I mean, it happened about 6 o'clock in the morning, right? Sure. So everybody witnessed and explained and recounted the exact same events. So that's yeah. pretty damn solid, you know, and at least in my opinion. Unless it's that uh, that one, you know, like, um, that, weird, that weird thing where, uh, I forget what it's actually called, but basically where everybody sees the same thing. But it's like psychological and it's like hallucinogenic, basically, right? Group group hysteria, basically, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, but I, <laughs> I highly doubt that's what it was. Um, you know, I have theories, but I I like these older ones because it. I'm kind of obsessed with the the concept of tulpas. Okay, right? yeah, for sure. So like, and these older these older cases kind of blur the line between like, is this a projection of the, of the experiencers consciousness or is it them framing this phenomenon in the only frame of reference they have for the time? Right. So they end up calling it like an airship. Right. Or which, like, I mean, we'll, we'll get into this. We'll get into like a timeline of, of, aerial uh craft and things like that right so sure like we'll definitely get into that but yeah i i understand i understand where you're coming from what you're saying for sure yeah i like because you know when you go like to the super old ones they literally describe like sailboats in the sky yeah and shit you know like because i mean and there's a question about whether that's them whether they're creating the phenomenon right or whether that's just the only frame of reference they have for what they're seeing. True. True. Um, yeah. yeah. And I think, I think that, which it definitely stands, you know, I, I think that's, a you know, a, a legit concern, uh, or like I, you know, idea of course, um, you know, but and like I said, we'll get more into like timelines and everything, but think of it like this. This is the time. This is a time before, anything was actually flying before there was actually yeah. any established flight of anything. I mean, granted at the time there were, um, attempts that often resulted in death, you know, in, yeah. in every attempt. Um, you know, so uh, yeah, that's and now you're, now you're touching on my primary theory of all of this. Okay. Yeah. Do you want to elaborate or you want to, you want to hold off sure. on that? Okay, I mean, go for it. Go for it. Yeah. I mean, 
we're what six years from the Wright brothers' first flight in 1903. 1903, right? right. Mm-hmm. But this is a this was like a a huge time of experimentation with flight, like you like you mentioned. Yeah. Right. Lots of people were going up and crashing and going up and crashing, and trying. There were no yes. successful flights right. at that time. Right. But at least you know documented. One, one right. could one could accurately argue that this was not an example of a successful flight. True. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, I guess, I guess you're right. I guess you're right. Um, yeah, no, that's, that's, that's true. I I didn't look at it that way, but this also came, it's not like they, they were taking off because I mean, if you look at all these flights of the time were takeoffs and crashes. Yeah. It wasn't successful flight into a crash. It was a takeoff and crash. Like Look, they would barely guy, get up in the air before they crashed, you know. So maybe, maybe this little fella in this in this airplane, maybe he actually should be credited with inventing the airplane. <laughs> he just died at the end, and you know, because the Wright brothers went what like 120 feet, and they were they they got all they got the credit for that being something the first like success. that. But that was actually the first successful and landing, right. Yeah, so That's I mean, true. you know, that was they 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 you know they they hit the flight like successfully. They also hit the landing successfully, and it wasn't. And that was the first actual documented time that there right. was ever a successful right. in the air and on the ground, like you know, in, in yeah. one setting. Because again, many people that attempted before, I mean. And this is the thing, you know, think worldwide. Like, we're just talking U.S. here. This is Texas, right? Yeah. So, like, we're talking, like, you know, I mean, it, very, and one thing I'll get into a little bit as well is is Germany, and they're, like, uh, you know, basically the Air Force at the time that they were attempting to build, you know, which right. was which was a theory, you know, which was a plan. Like, it was literally planned. It wasn't, like, you know, so... But like, think of that, and then the Wright brothers had this successful, sure, like successful flight, and that was it wasn't until nineteen oh three, and this is eighteen ninety seven. So, I wonder how many people though got the takeoff and the flight and just fucked it up on the landing before the Wright brothers. You know what I mean? Because I feel like it's that successful landing that really cemented. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I I suppose that's that's possible too. And who's to say that this wasn't one of those particular cases? It right. went better than all the others, and they actually went into Got the some sky. Because I mean, this actually descended from the clouds. So yeah. I mean, you're looking you're looking at several hundred feet, like above that's true. you know above that the would Earth. be what. Yeah, that's probably the, what makes it the least likely, because. I could see someone getting significantly more distance and then just messing up on the landing. Right, yeah. But, like, I think the Wright brothers were working with, like, I don't know, what, 20 feet off the ground? Something 20, 30 feet off the ground Where, where was their flight? Their their first attempts. I think, uh, which I need to double check on, on the actual, what their actual successful was. But, yeah, yeah I mean, I know it wasn't anything significant. But at the There's time, there's no way it was a hundred feet. Right at the time, it was, it was a significant a, yeah. feat, though. Like it was like, yeah, yeah, for sure. It was, you know, so. 
but yeah, I don't think I don't think it was a hundred feet or more. Like you right. know, for sure. But if they were, that's what I mean. Is if the Wright brothers were flying, if the ones who got it right were flying like 30, 40 feet off the ground, I can't see a a failed competitor flying like three hundred feet in the air. Right. You know what I mean? Exactly. And I mean, yeah. and it's also not like this was like a like it was out of control as it was descending or anything. It was steadily descending, descending it. They said 12 miles an hour. Well, didn't you know, they very report like slowly. weird Didn't they report like weird noises and like yeah. that they associated the, with mechanical failure? Yeah, or that whatever? was that was what it was basically chalked up to. Yeah. I don't know. Um cuz I was also thinking like obviously a big part of this is the pilot, right? That he was like tiny. True. Right? Yeah, they described him as basically being the size of a human child. Right. And now think about like a time when everyone's trying everything they can to get a plane in the air successfully, right? Like I don't think that's going to be a child by the way, but you know, that's No, just not me. a child, but think about like a like a jockey. Like okay. a horse a horse jockey, right? Yeah. Like weight is obviously a concern when you're trying to get a plane in the air. Oh yeah. I mean true. Right? True cuz So maybe this particular person thought like well, maybe if we, you know, get a small a small guy in the pilot seat, that'll help, right? Right, because the original idea of flight was that you had to be in something as light as air, right? You know, and so which is impossible, right? You know, that's it's a that's an impossible like an impossible thing to achieve. But that yeah. was that was the original goal, like is to be in something literally as light as air, something that could literally glide. You know, right. through the air, and so, yeah, maybe. Just, I was thinking like a jockey-sized man, you know, mm-hmm. could easily be, could like after a crash, could easily be confused for like a twelve or thirteen-year-old boy. True, you know what yeah, I mean. That's possible. Um, and yeah. I mean, it, it's hard to say too because the remains were so disfigured due to this epic crash, essentially. Um, and due to you know fi- all the fires and everything that you know that were caused by it and everything as well, so it's right. it it is hard to say for sure, you know. And so and that's that's where it, it seems harder to uh, harder to grasp, basically. Just being that you know at the same time, like it'd be it, it now modern day, obviously we'd be able to test like instantly. It wouldn't be a thing where we would just dismiss it or. You'd be like, oh, it could be a small child. It could be, a, you know, whatever. But this seems like it's probably alien. So, cool. <laughs> you know? And that was yeah. basically their reaction. Yeah, that's <laughs> like, what was so wild about this story to me was, like, they were basically like, so an alien crashed in our town. And then they just, they're like, oh, how sad. Let's give him a Christian burial. Yeah. No, but it's like, I also, I, I like... I mean, think of it, it's Texas, first of all, too. Sure. <laughs> so, being in Texas, like, I would never expect any of this type of treatment, first of all. Um, at least modern day. Like, Texas is so fucking, yeah, never, never. Sure. Um, but, like, you know, like, but the fact that, like, this town gave him a proper burial, and, yeah. like, he resides in this town cemetery, literally to this day. Yeah. You know, which I think is cool shit. Like, it's. That's. Have they ever. Have they ever tried to exhume 
So the problem with that is they did. Um, they like lots of people have looked into it, but Texas law states that any grave cannot be exhumed without notifying the next of kin. And <laughs> in this case, there is no next of kin to be able to notify that they know of. Right. And it's, it's a legit like state law in Texas that no, no grave can be exhumed. And so that's why till this day, it has never been dug up outside so that mean like a of, John. Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say outside of the excavated area that we saw in like the, the late seventies where they ran basically a pipeline, but it didn't, they didn't actually dig down into the actual grave as far right. as I know. But the other thing is at that point, those metal objects went missing. Right. So I, you know, I mean, who's to say that, that the body is still there 100%. We don't know, but I would like to think that it is. Obviously, I mean, yeah. you know, given given the circumstances and everything. And then the objects were, you know, obviously more uh, desirable than the, the remains of, you know, some skeletal body, basically. What kind of loser made that call? Right. Yeah. No, I would no much fucking rather doubt. see the body. Same, bud. Same. Uh, but I, yeah. It's, I just it's wonder a, about this. I wonder about this law because it's a very weird, strange law. Because yeah, like, I know where you are going, where you're starting to go. What if we had a John Doe? What if we had yeah. like you know? So yeah, it's you know, it, it's Texas. That's all I can say. It's, it's Texas. <laughs> so sure. uh, man, Texas is the new Florida. <laughs> um, it's just odd to me. Like you'd think for like. In, like, cold cases and stuff, you'd think that, like, a John Doe would be able to be exhumed right. by, like, court order. You know it, what I at mean? Least, at least modern day. And then maybe maybe that is the case modern day. Yeah. But, you know, this town being such a small town, such a, like... I mean, again, this town was a town that literally was on the brink of not being a town anymore. You know, and now they have this as as a means of like you know brings people to the area, like right. you know. So maybe that's the thing. Like they they believe firmly in like keeping this under you know like honoring essentially this law, you know honoring this spaceman that came into their area. Like and it's it's one of those things that they pride on. They pride themselves on, you know. And and that still to this day, like I mean. Yeah, there's a there's a local cafe in the area that like literally I I've, I watched a bunch of videos of people just going in and talking to like the workers and stuff and they talk about this constantly about this area because that's I mean that's what they're known for. You know, and it's it's like every area is known for something, right? So some, sure. something that sets them aside. Some claim to is, fame. Exactly. And that's what this has became to them. Even though they're still they're very still a very small town. I mean, you know, I think of that, and I think of, like, a town close to home, like, you know, like... Sure. But even less, I mean, you know, 14 yeah. to, fourteen to say, 15, 1,600 people or so, whatever yeah. it is to this day. I didn't double-check. I had checked a couple years back, but that was the latest update, and I, got, I had gotten them, and there were, like, fourteen or 1,500. Um, now, wasn't versus... there... A, I think there was a boom at some time in their history, right? And then it shrank back down? So... There, so part of the issue here, um, and and we'll we'll get into this. Um, so 
uh, you know, obviously there there was there there slightly because the town. Um, so there was an article that was put into Time Magazine. So it, and I, I guess because it, it kind of explains like what why the town like was on the brink of not being a thing, and also attempts to let's say debunk this whole ordeal, right? Okay. And it's kind of it's it's gonna be together because like some of the information is is put together. Um, so in 1974, Time Magazine actually did a they published an article uh, attempting essentially attempting to debunk the actual crash. So they alleged that the entire story and the events were fabricated by the author of the original newspaper article. Okay. Um, a reporter by the name of S.C. Hayden, uh, which uh, here shortly I will actually read the article too. The original okay. article posted in 1897. I do have that as well. Um, but the story actually, uh, the story was published in Time Magazine. It was the result of an interview with a local resi- resident and historian called Etta Peggs. Or okay. Peggy's or whatever. It's P-E-G-U-E-S. So we'll okay. call her Peggs, just for the sake of it. So Edda stated that in the years leading up to 1897, the town had suffered many unfortunate events and mishap. Uh, basically, during that time, there was an outbreak of weevils, causing damage to the crops of local farmers, a widespread ec- epidemic of fever, and fires that damaged multiple buildings that followed. Um, and basically, at this point, they had suffered the possibility of being shut down. All right. So, I mean, at that point, we have crops. Crops literally being eaten eaten by bugs. All right. We have Holy an levels. epidemic of fever that is spreading across the area, you know, that's that's killing people off. Right. And then at the same time, we have and we have you know, several fires that are taking out local buildings and things like that. You know, they right. were on the brink of literally not surviving as a town. And so, and then of course, you know, we have all this happen, this incident in 1897. And then after that, the town started to thrive. They started to thrive. Crops started to rebuild back up. They were having successful, you know, periods. Um, you know, it just, it went from basically one extreme to the next. Okay. And so, you know, which, you know, I, I don't, I, I'm not going to say I'm going to chalk it up to this spaceman, this incident. But, you know, like, maybe it's the result of it. Like, maybe it, like, and, you know, just, I'm throwing shit out there, right? So mm-hmm. maybe, like, the fact that this town had this actual funeral, celebrated this alien, that these outside sources, outside rewarded things, them. beings, rewarded them. Right. And who's to say that that's not the case? Sure. I don't think that's far-fetched at all, right? You know, like, it is, it is you know, obviously, it's given the situation, given the scenario, like, I don't think it's beyond the realm of, like, possibility. Yeah. So, yeah, I agree with that. I I mean, a more cynical-minded person might take that same situation and say, well, they saw that their town was failing and struggling, and, and used that they as created a- it. And used it as a way to get attention from the outside world, and it worked. So, I don't believe that, personally. I think, you know, I, I think that this was... <laughs> I don't want to say coincidental, because I hate the idea of anything being coincidental. Sure. Like it feels like a cop-out. Exactly. You know, but 
I think in this case, that's essentially what it was, what it what it could have been. You know, I'm still it, obviously we're we're not done discussing. I'm not I'm not 100 like set in my in my my thoughts in my you know like in my belief right. on the whole thing. But now there's a happy know. medium, right? Because it could have been that this shit really happened, and the result of it increased interest in their town. Right. And and that turned things around, right? That it wasn't See, necessarily a plot to get this attention. Exactly. It wasn't like a ploy or anything like that. Like that's what I think. That they just and didn't mind taking advantage of. Oh of yeah. It Why happened. the fuck not? Like I mean right. at that point, use that to your advantage cuz I mean literally with where they were, I mean, you know, like even every little bit in a, in a town that like the town that's literally like you know, scraping, scraping in every bit they possibly can to stay afloat. Like, you know, like, why not use this to your advantage? Yeah. And that's, that's where, fair. that's where I get on that coincidental thing. I don't think it's coincidental. I think that this happened and then they were like, they seized the opportunity. Like, fuck yeah. it. Like, why not? Because like, I mean, like we, you know, this is like the first, it, I mean, if you think about it, this is the first actual notable case where anything has ever crash landed and yielded like an actual being as part of it. Yeah. You know, with Roswell being so, so known, so world known that not knowing 50 years prior or previously, there was, you know, there was another similar type of type of issue or incident. Right. And so, and I think, like I like you said, you know, like they took that and they, you know, use that like as a benefit to them. And I, I honestly, I think that, yeah, that's probably the case. Cause again, why wouldn't you? Yeah. Agreed. But, uh, kind of getting into, cause where I left off with the time thing or the, the time magazine thing, um, you know, I, I think it's a better opportunity than none or, you know, than not to get into, People trying to debunk the cake. Okay. So, Etta Peggs or Peggy's, whatever, she also claimed that John Proctor or Judge Proctor never even had a windmill on his farm. Okay. So, again, painting the picture, we have this, this tic tac shaped UFO, uh, not even a saucer. It was like cylindrical, like a tic tac, right. basically. That ends up crash landing onto this windmill that's attached to a well, right? So it's like okay. you have the windmill, you have the well underneath it. So this bitch tried to say that the, <laughs> there's, there's no that there was no windmill actually there, right? So yeah, I wonder what your opinion of her is. <laughs> <laughs> well, this bitch. Uh, so skip ahead, uh, uh-huh. November of two thousand and eight. There was a documentary called UFO Hunters. Uh, they managed to gain access to Judge Proctor's property, um, which actually had been purchased from him uh, in 1935 by a man named Brawley Oates. Okay. All right. So in interviews, they did interviews with Brawley's grand, grandchild, uh, grandson, and they learned that Brawley had cleared the wreckage from the well originally. Later okay. claiming that the material had tainted the drinking water in the well. Oh, shit. 
uh, which was afflict, which it apparently en- ended up afflicting him with aggressive, an aggressive form of arthritis. Okay. Which this shit was no joke. I mean, like it, it affected his entire hands. He couldn't do shit. Like, I mean, yeah. you know, it, yeah, nuts. If you look into, especially crazy, crazy forms of arthritis. So as a result of this, uh, Oates or Brawley had blocked off the well with a concrete slab, right? right. So you know, just covering it up. So his grandson ended up allowing the documentary, uh, the filmmakers to take samples of the water. Um, they ended up, you know, taking samples and, and testing it and everything and ended up containing high levels of aluminum. Okay. Um, and he also showed them foundations on the property where the windmill had once stood. Oh, okay. And there is an actual foundation where the windmill was. Which completely fucks that, like, <laughs> it, met, it like completely changes her story, you know? Yeah, so, I mean, it definitely calls it into question. Yeah, for sure. You know, and, and so obviously, I would like to think that that was, she was probably spouting a bunch of bullshit. Maybe she was, like, very, I, I don't know. She, she was also, like, 86 years old or something at the time. So yeah. maybe she was senile. Maybe she like didn't know what she was talking about. Like, yeah, I'm not. I'm not trying to say like you know like just yeah. I'm I'm not trying to say that. Or maybe I'm when saying. she was maybe while she was growing up, hearing the stories over and over again. Like one uncle one time was like, you know, he didn't even have a windmill out there. And right. She just That's stuck possible. with it. You know, yeah, it could have been something that she had she had heard and that it just always stuck with her, and it was always like a yeah. thing when it came to the story that she just like, you know, threw out like you know, and then just continued to believe in it, like you know. Yeah. So it it's hard to say, you know, it is definitely hard to say, but you know, the fact that Brawley Oates's grandson, who bought the property from Judge Proctor, you know, well Brawley did, but his right. grandson, you know, with inherited the property long long after whatever. Also is able to say, yeah, this is where the windmill was, and yeah. you can see a foundation for it. Like, I would like to think that that's pretty solid evidence. Yeah, I would you agree know. with that for sure. So uh, there were actually a couple of other kind of theories that uh, were based around this. Okay. Um, so it's so basically from 1896, like 1896 to 1897, you know, the period around when all this happened, right. and onward. So there were actually many reports of mysterious airships and their occupants being seen all over. Really? Um, yeah. So first originating in the Western U.S. So we have you know the Texas area and everything, and eventually making their way up to over to Europe, going as far as Australia and New Zealand. Okay. Um, with their peak during the First World War. So that's like the huge, the high point of of people witnessing and seeing these things. And there's these the German un- connection, right? Exactly. Okay, gotcha. This is where we get into it. Right. So these unknown Zeppelins, essentially, is what they yeah. are. Flying airships. So when we get into talking about like how we how you mentioned like flying ships, yeah, you know, as like back in you know more ancient you know times and things like that, would be Zeppelins, flying ships. Sure. And that's what they refer to them as, you know, airships or Zeppelins. So they'd be regularly seen shining their lights down as they passed over cities, uh, sometimes even landing on the ground uh, temporarily. 
Witnesses reported the figures and the occupants of the airships um, reported that they often spoke in different and unknown languages and even worn, uh, wore strange uniforms. You know, things out of the ordinary that people would see anybody wearing at the time. Okay. Um, and they basically, these beings would often quickly flee to avoid being detected. Right. Um, so many of the reports uh, were attributed to the German Air Force. Uh, basically, who at the time were suspected of attempting to use Zeppelins to take out targets across Europe. Yeah. Suspected. Yes. Now, however, after the after the defeat of Germany, it became apparent that this was untrue, as the technology described by witnesses was still decades, decades away from even ever being created. Right. Germany didn't actually have means of the... Yeah. And that's where we get into talking about when we get back into Wright Brothers for a successful flight in December 17th of 19, 1903. Right. Right. So we didn't actually have any successful aerial craft until that point. Right. I mean, we had like balloons, right? We had weather balloons. True. Yes. Right. Weather balloons so- uh, were, were, were a thing. Uh, hot air balloons were a thing. I mean, but that's like, it's not flying yeah um, no that's you know, that's, that's lighter than air travel that's different exactly than, right yeah yeah um i i wish i knew more about like the history of of air travel for this yeah honestly i, I think it, it would it would definitely help out i mean i do too like i mean I, I know a lot about the Wright brothers and i've you know even been to kitty hawk i've seen where they flew their first successful flight like right. all of that like i was very into the Wright brothers many years ago and like obsessed to the to the point yeah. of being obsessed yeah um but like i don't know as far as like what germany had at that point i mean again you know, this is the first world war uh, and it was suspected that they had some type of flying craft yeah but it was determined after the fact that they actually didn't that it was still something they were working on okay you know they were still trying in failing you know just as everybody else in the world was at that point right okay so that's fair yeah that was that was another thing which you know kind of gives it a little bit more credence as well i had um, never i had never heard of this like um, this like smattering of of sightings around this time period. Yeah, I mean, same. I, you know, obviously, like the more more important ones that we've seen was like 1947 with Roswell, and right. then also the what was it, the nine uh, nine UFOs that flew over Washington D.C. We've talked about that yeah, in the yeah. previous episode. Yeah, you know, like that shit that happened. But like, especially back as far as like early eight, or sorry, late 1800s, early 1900s. Yeah, yeah. I I was just as I was just as uh, yeah, kind of put off by it as well because I did I didn't know about you know kind of what at least as like as far as people claiming to see these like flying ships, yeah, that happen. You know, essentially blimps, zeppelins. You know, like yeah. things like that, like that shouldn't have been a thing at the time. So, which is pretty damn cool to me. Like I, I definitely dig it. And I think it's uh you know, again, it's kind of one of those one of those weird kind of one off uh, one off things here. So yeah, because yeah. if this if this case we're discussing isn't singular, if it's part of a pattern for this time period, then that right. definitely lends more credence to it. Right, exactly. And this being the first one that you know, because but this was also stated after the fact, after all this happened, yeah. right? Yeah. 
So and then people came forth and saying, well, you know, this has been witnessed and all, and it became a nation or a, well, worldwide thing. Yeah, you know, a, a more frequent in Western U.S. that you know slowly made its way over to Europe and and you know further. So right, yeah. So you think in your mind does that? Are you seeing these people? I mean, these are alien encounters, right? The strange yeah. suits, the odd language, all that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I, I would definitely, I would think so for sure. I mean, because again, described as very strange, strange suits that they would wear, things that were outside of even like, you know, the German army or whatever yeah. at the time. Like, you know, especially like in that area where they were more frequent, especially during the First World War, you know, being something that's obviously out of the ordinary. Like, you know, I mean, that that is very questionable, right? Yeah, like it definitely makes you kind of kind of think like, okay, well, this you know obviously is going to be a bit different than you know these soldiers and things like that. So it's definitely weird, right? Um, there's actually been recent claims that uh, so this would I, I find kind of funny. Um, okay, just to forewarn you, <laughs> <laughs> but there's actually been recent claims that Weems, the the uh, military officer that right. investigated, right. That he was actually the town's blacksmith. What? <laughs> Not a military officer at all. He just tricked them? Or they just <laughs> used his name? Well, this is where we get into that that article. Um, yeah. Which I'll, I'll read that article in just a minute as well. Um, but tried to state that Weems... Not an actual military officer at all. He was actually their blacksmith of the town. Came to quote-unquote investigate and... <laughs> Was like, yeah, this is alien. Sure, sure. This is this isn't earth, you know earthly. This is otherworldly. Definitely sure. from Mars. True, true. That's that was actually <laughs> one of one of his claims was that it was from Mars. Like nice. you know, like the, well, you know, obviously that's that it. You know, earlier, like earlier nineteen, you know, earlier nineteen hundred, so whatever. Often, you know, aliens and things were attributed to Martians Mars or Martians exactly. Yeah. And that was that was his like his suggestion is it probably came from Mars. Yeah, because those know. early you those early ufologists, I guess you might call them. Right. Those people that was like they wanted them to be right next door. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um yeah, let me uh let me pull up the article here. Uh, just because I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and read it to you. This was actually post uh, published um, in Aurora, in Weiss County, Texas, April uh, April seventeenth, eighteen ninety seven, the day that it happened. Excellent. Um, the article is titled "A Windmill Demolishes It," and bear with me because it is very uh, it, yeah the like the type and everything the it's it's hard to read. So okay. yeah, just bear with me through it. First off, that's a terrible headline. <laughs> right. <laughs> A windmill writer. demolishes it. Yes, it's very, it's, it's, it's almost cryptic. It doesn't tell you anything. Exactly. I know. Like if I saw that, I'd be like, all right, I'm gonna skim over. It. Like I'm not yeah. gonna read it. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I thought that that was pretty funny too. All right. So the article states: About six o'clock this morning, the early rises of Aurora were astonished at the sudden appearance of the airship which has been sailing through the country. 
It was traveling due north and much nearer the earth than ever before. Evidently, some of the machinery was out of order, for it was making a speed of only 10 or 12 miles an hour and gradually setting toward the earth. It sailed directly over the public square, and when it reached the north part of the town, it collided with the tower of Judge Proctor's windmill and went to pieces with a terrific explosion, scattering debris over several acres of ground, wrecking the windmill and water tank and destroying the judge's flower garden. The pilot of the ship is supposed to have been the only one on board, and while his remains are badly disfigured, enough of the original has been picked up to show that he was not an inhabitant of this world. Mr. T.J. Weems, the United States Signal Service officer at this place, and an authority of, on astronomy, gives it as his own opinion that he was a native of the planet Mars. Papers found on his person evidently record of his travels uh, are written in some unknown hieroglyphics and cannot be deciphered. Uh, let me... Papers? Yes. So papers were found on him that had these hieroglyphics. Um, it was described in the story that um, you know they had found etched into the like the machinery and the metal, the aluminum, the silver, whatever. So um, they were found, you know, whatever are written in some unknown hieroglyphic hieroglyphics and cannot be deciphered. The ship was too badly wrecked to form any conclusion as to its construction or mode of power. It was built of an unknown metal resembling somewhat a mixture of aluminum and silver, and it must have weighed several tons. The town is full of people today who are viewing the wreck and gathering specimens of the strange metal from the debris. The pilot's funeral will take place at noon tomorrow. And this is written by S.E. Hayden. That's an intense article. Right. I mean, this is posted in in the, the, what was it, the, um, like the Dallas Daily News or something, uh, whatever it was. Yeah. So. Because most of these, you know, with most UFO sightings, the newspaper article is very vague. It's always like, like, um, you know. Tammy Watkins of so-and-so place saw a orange reported seeing an orange floating light over the hillside. Nothing else happened. Right. Exactly. Like, and, and this, this one's like, they're from Mars. It's depth. an alien. Like, yeah. Like funerals tomorrow. All, all the details of the thing. Yeah, exactly. Um, which could be good or could be bad. I mean, it could work on both both sides because it was also stated that they try they sent this story over to Fort Worth, Texas, you know, nearby city, Dallas yeah. Fort Worth area, um, and they literally paid no attention to it. It was like you know, I mean, they sent out they sent out the Weems, like the you know the military officer, sure, but like no national publication really gave a shit. Well, they were probably like, look at these batshit crazy small town idiots. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Like to me, I mean, it seems, it seems, you know, very off putting, but at the same time, yeah, I'm sure that's exactly the thought was like, yeah, these people are reporting on some bullshit thing. Like, 
you know, they're looking, you know, and maybe it was a thing that people knew that this town was, you know, nearing, nearing its, you know, end of its lifespan or something, whatever, you know, who's to say, but like the fact that the story being that detailed and yet nobody gave a shit and it wasn't like nationally publicated until years later, literally years later, 80, 80 years later is finally when people started to give a shit. No, that's that's crazy. It's a it's a weird article. For I mean, sure. I I can't say that the, like there was probably too much fact checking going on at the time. Oh yeah, I mean, and <laughs> obviously, you know, not much yeah. like not not many guardrails on like journalistic ethics. You know. Yeah, of course. So, take it all with a grain of salt. But like, just seeing that an article written like that is it's a little intense yeah and i mean like i said that's the legit article that was published on that day like you know which is crazy um you know and some believe that after roswell like after the roswell incident uh the government attempted to basically cover up the aurora crash fearing uh public scrutiny right you know and so that's which kind of kind of makes sense that 80 years after the fact, we have these people that are coming and finally, like, paying attention and, you know, coming to, like, actually investigate into it, right? Yeah. Um, For what it's worth, the pilot, the Spaceman pilot, was sure. uh, given the name Ned. Okay. By the town? By the town, yeah. Right. You know, because obviously they buried him. They had to give him, they had to give him a name and make him real. My God. Uh, which is actually what's really cool is outside of the Aurora town, uh, the Aurora town cemetery, there's a plaque. Um, there, there is a plaque that, uh, that states, or that basically is like, you know, just, just there like saying like, Oh, you know, all who have died here or whatever else. Um, but what's really cool about this, uh, if I can get to it. So one particular part that says this site is also well known because of the legend that a spaceship crashed uh, nearby in 1897 and the pilot killed in the crash was buried here um which is actually legit on on their plaque on you know outside of the cemetery the entrance of the cemetery right and many 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 people have gone there to basically show you know express condolences and leave along like trinkets and stuff on this like you know like whatever else to show whatever yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, which is pretty fucking solid. Because I mean, if this is legit, and this place houses the grave of an actual alien, yeah, like that, I mean, this this is pretty massive, right? Yeah, that would be definitely that would be significant. So, but yeah, that's uh, I mean, that's that's essentially it. Like, I I think honestly. You know, and kind of getting getting into it now. I personally, I believe in it. I, I believe it. You know, I believe it as, as something that happened. Again, given all the evidence, given everything that supports it, given the fact that, you know, during this time, there were lots of other reports of, quote unquote, like Zeppelins, flying airships and things like that that were seen. Sure. When, during a period of time where that was not a thing yet. Yeah. You know, so I, I think it, it definitely adds a lot and it more further solidifies the story. And I I definitely, I buy it. What do you think? 
I mean, okay. So <laughs> it doesn't surprise me that that that's the side you take, and it, it doesn't make sense. Okay. So like, especially the the time period that it's taking place in means a lot to me. Right. Um, it goes a long way, but it's a weird paradox for me too because the farther back the story is the more I want to believe it. But the farther back the story is the shittier the evidence gets. That's, I mean, that's true. It's not like, it's not 100% rock hard, solid evidence. Right. Right. Cause but the, I think the, there's enough of it. The further back you get, the less reliable newspapers get, the further back you get, the, the, the more vague people's memory gets like true. So I don't know. And it's also, you know, it's we've had 120 years for to play telephone with this story basically, you know? Right. Like yeah. So obviously with the the one woman who was interviewed um at a there, pegs Yeah, there've been yeah. different perspectives that have shifted and back and forth and stuff. But, but one thing to keep in mind is the guy that went to uh that investigated in the 70s actually talked to Charlie Right. The one that the story is fully based on, Charlie's right. experience, uh, Charlie Stevens. And so, they like, actually her, talked right. to him. No, Char- Charlie is the one, again, that he and his father went out and saw everything happen. Right. Like I said, that's the what started. So they ended up, like, he even to- recounted the story to a T of what, you know, we, we've expressed here. Right. And a um, lot of that discounted the stuff that Edda Pegg was saying. Right. right? Exactly. Yeah. That and then. Uh, Brawley Oates' grandson, his yeah. it, them buying the the property from Judge Proctor, and showing where the actual the actual uh, the old, windmill was, uh, the windmill and everything was right. Yeah. Exactly, discrediting okay. her her you know whatever. So taking all that into account, I'm honestly I'm still on the side of this being a of this being like a an air an airplane experiment gone wrong okay i think like it's more likely that that's the case and that the eyewitnesses misjudged the altitude that they first saw it at that's possible you know yeah that it just feels more likely to me especially like they talk about like the humming and the sputtering sounds and the like the weird mechanical failure sounds that sounds like an old-timey aircraft failing in my yeah, brain, I, you know, I mean, yeah, true, true. It might be I mean, like that's, the, that's the cartoon version of right it. Off the bat. Yeah, yeah. But like, that's that's what I that's what I see in my head when I when okay. I hear that. Um. So yeah, I'm yeah I'm falling on the side of that. I okay, that's like fair. firmly that's fair for sure. So yeah, it's 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 harder. I mean, you know, and me maybe being more invested in the story and you know and everything. Uh, just buying into a little bit more. I know. I know that there's, you know, looking at it especially now. If it was, if it was modern day, like we would have so much shit to literally like dive into this and you yeah. know be able to provide a lot more evidence and you know whatever else. But like, and if they would, I don't is, know, dig up the goddamn body. Exactly. That's another thing. But they they still refuse to because of Texas law. I think they just want to keep their their tourism for the. Town I think going. so too. Yeah, I agree. I, I agree. I think that's what it comes down to as well. Yeah. Because I, I think like at some point there has to come a point where you can say, look, 
this is a thing that happened. There is no known Ken or anything like that. Like, you know, for the sake of science. Yep. Let's dig this up and let's check it out. Like, I think like as modern day, the government would be sure fucking fire ready to go. Oh yeah. And a case like that. Right. So that's, that's where, you know, that's where I like, I, yeah, it's, it's hard to dismiss that. But I think with this being such a big, like, very impactful thing that this town has, like, kept for the last hundred years. Yeah, it's you know, become like, part of and, their identity. Exactly. Like, and that's, and that's more why I kind of sway in that direction. You know, I think, uh, like I said, given the story, given the, the evidence, essentially, from everybody that witnessed. Yeah. And still, like, claimed, you know, obviously at this point nobody's going to be alive at this point that we're there, but you know, like that's been passed down. Like they've told the stories, they've explained all this other stuff. Like, yeah, I feel like there's, there's a lot to it. Like I said, that's, that's why I I sway in that direction. But okay. It's the first time we've been firmly on opposite sides in a while. True. Yeah. We haven't, we haven't been in a little while. So yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of nice. Agreed. Uh, (laughs) have a little opposing, opposing viewpoints, but, yeah, I, I like I said, I like the story, and I'm into it for sure. Yeah, but. whether it was an alien or some like crazy inventor who's out testing his shit at 5 a.m., like that. Yeah, that's like that's it's still a gnarly story, especially for such a small town. Like to have this crazy event go down. If it is like some just like guy testing flight, I give him fucking kudos. Right. Exactly. <laughs> like, yeah, that's that's pretty solid because. He achieved what a lot of others were striving to achieve at that point. Just, you know, failed the landing. Did not stick the landing. Nope, not at all. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that uh, wraps up episode 22, The Aurora Incident. Thank you, thank you, thank you. From the bottom of our weird, possibly alien, maybe ghostly, probably cryptid hearts for listening. We absolutely love having the chance to discuss all these wild creatures and events every week, and it's your continued attention that allows us to carry on. We want to get to know each and every one of you, so please come and check us out on all the socials. At campfire.tales.podcast on Instagram and Facebook, at campfire.totsau on Twitter, and you can also visit our website at campfirepodcastnetwork.com. If you love the show, please rate and review it it's what truly helps us continue bringing your weekly dose of the strange and unsettling and a special thanks to greg martin at reverent music on instagram for his contributions to the beautiful music that you hear every week under the debrief you can find more of his tunes at reverbnation.com reverent it's fantastic fantastic stuff go give that a listen and that's it until next time i'm ryan i'm jordan And remember, campers, stay weird and trust in the unknown.